Rabbi, Rabbi, oh Rabbi, we got a special podcast today. So special that we're going to use some new music for it. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm pretty excited about it. Although I will say, Father Anderson, that, that, you know, the more days and weeks and months that this has been in isolation, uh, I'm really missing my, 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 my lunch dates with you. Oh, I, I was just thinking about that the other day because so I can, you know, I know my parish administrator is probably happy that I'm not turning in receipts anymore for clergy expenses of having lunch every week with the rabbi um, and, uh, you know, saving her a couple of bucks here and there. But uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I do miss this time of getting a hamburger and fries. It's kind of my, my, my cheat day when I go out and have lunch with you. So it's, um, <laughs> so we, we, I look forward to when that happens again. We don't have to worry about spitting pathogens on one another. Um, but I, <laughs> until that time, um, you know, we, we like to uh, uh, take on, we try to stay relevant. I think we try to stay relevant with our mm -hmm. topic here. Um, and today is no different. Um, you and I have talked about just with, with uh, besides COVID-19, the challenges that come with talking about a hot topic like racism and how to put that through God's eyes and how do we approach that as, as clergy folk. Have you, have you, uh, do you still have that kind of, I don't know, say nervousness, but um, concern that if you don't use the right word is or languages that you might alienate someone or so you might cause a little bit of division in your congregation? Well, I, th I think that fear is always there in everything that I write. I mean, I'm, I'm very cautious of my language. Um, I might not always get it right. Uh, and, 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 and God willing, I, I, I hope I don't so that I can learn from it. But yeah, I mean, you know, there are times, especially with, 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 with these issues that are going on today in our world of racism and uh, a rise and a surge in, in, in how we see one another, uh, it's disconcerting. So you know, uh, from a from a Jewish rabbinical perspective, you know, to to talk the issue and to be able to really see uh, the humanity of it um, and really raise the issue to just start the conversation. So that's what we're gonna we're gonna bring on uh, Reverend Alan Bentrup from uh, he, he's he's out in Upper South Carolina, good old Texan boy, and uh, he is a priest, and he's gonna help us just uh, start to how do you how do you start these conversations and really try to get to invite everyone into it without having some folks think that you're just trying to push some kind of messaging upon them, uh, but have everyone just really start to think, and especially through uh, a godly lens. Um, so I think he just flew in. Reverend Allen, is that, is that you? Are, are you? I'm here, and boy, are my arms tired. Oh, boy, check it out. You flew so hard, your hair fell off. Okay. Well, I'm here for the dad jokes all day. Yeah, is his uh, he's bald. That's why I said that joke. So, anyways, so Reverend Allen, uh, you know, welcome to being on the Priest and Rabbi podcast. Are you, are you ready to roll and talk about this topic of how the heck do we talk about racism within our congregations? Yeah, I think it's very brave of y'all to have these conversations. I think it's even more brave to bring on a white Texan to have these conversations. <laughs> but I think there's 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 honestly things we can talk about because when white folks talk to each other, a different thing can happen because hopefully some, some, some facade can start to fall off a little bit. Yeah, no, I think that's right. So in, in honor of you being here, we reached out to a good friend of ours, Peter Jones, who is married to a Jewish woman, but his background is Catholic, uh, being a Catholic. So he made our music for today. So let's get ready to hear that music on this episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Like this podcast, share with others. Once you hear this music, you are going to make it your favorite podcast ever, ever, ever. So let's get ready. Gentlemen, are you all ready? 
I'm ready. Ready to roll. All right, start your engines. Here we go for another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. A priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi. The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted overallowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, Grab your Bible or Torah and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. All right. Good morning, everyone. And that was the premiere <laughs> of our brand new music intro by Peter Jones, a starstruck Peter here in Spirit, Florida. And my gosh, Rabbi. Good morning, and what did you think of that brand new music intro? Uh, you know, it, it 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 made me smile and it made me laugh. Um, uh, uh, kudos to Peter Jones for uh, for creating such amazing and uh, just beautiful music for our our radio show. <laughs> I can't help but just put a smile on your face. My gosh, that is so different than what we had before. What we had before was nice, but um, uh, Peter Jones just knows how to shake things <laughs> Oh, that's so great. So thank you, Peter Jones, um, over at Starstruck, you're the man for putting that together. Um, speaking of being the man, you're the man, Mr. Rabbi. It's always good to have you here on the show uh, as we continue to talk about all good things Judeo-Christian in our lives. And uh, we, we usually don't take on any kind of soft topics here on the show. And today's no different as we continue to say, how the heck do you talk about race without it getting really weird? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, that's what I really wanted to call today. Um, but, but I don't know. I mean, you over at the temple, can you just get up there at the, at the, uh, at the pulpit and just be like, Hey guys, we're going to talk about uh, racism and racial injustices and black lives matter go. And then everyone will be like, yeah, rabbi, let's do that. Well, I mean, I think, I think I, you know, in some degree, I think absolutely. I think it is something that people do want to hear in terms of a, a a a clergy being able to use a social issue in our society and how as jews we're supposed to react and to respond um because it is a social issue it's something that affects us immensely whether we're involved or uninvolved and i think that that the the, the moment that we as individuals can recognize other people's humanity and other people's struggles we are better equipped to deal with our own. Yeah, I think that's the key right there that I'm discovering now. Um, and that's obviously the topic of today's show is just like, how do we talk about race within and racism within our congregations uh, without causing division or just inviting people to be a part of it? Um, I found that the key is exactly what you just said, is how do you get people to, um, to feel other people's humanity, to understand other people's struggles, to really hear one another's stories, and to know that, oh, okay, there's other people in our community who might not have the same playing field as we do. And, uh, and I think just that thought alone is a, big, is a big idea for some, the idea that, especially where we live, because 
uh, if you talk about the idea of racism, which is such a harsh word for people to hear because you just think of people in white hoods, you know, burning crosses, but that there's, that, that say that there might be racism still existing here in Morton County, um, we have to be able to ask that question and look through the eyes of people of color and say, well, you tell us, is there? Because we can't as white people say there's no racism. Well, of course there isn't because we're the mm -hmm. white folks. Uh, so we have to be hearing the story of say, well, what do you think? Anyone else who's a person who's not a part of the white majority and do you think there's a racism? And I, that's why I think we just need to have more and more of those conversations. So that's why we today, we brought on just another white guy um, on the show. Um, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Um, today we brought on uh, uh, Reverend Alan Bentrip uh, out of uh, South Carolina. He's really a Texan, um, but uh, he's going to tell us why uh, his demographic actually really works well of being a good old white Southern boy of having these conversations, which he does in the church. Um, Reverend Alan Bentrip, welcome for the first time to a priest and a rabbi. It's good to have you here, brother. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, especially since I got to be a part of the debut of that new theme music. I'm just wondering when that's going to be on iTunes so I can download and run to it. <laughs> if, if that increases your pace and gets you, because uh, I know you, you've lost a lot of weight recently, man. You're looking, you're looking sharp. Um, you're looking like, as my youth group would say, you're looking like a snack. And, I'm trying. Um, I'm catching up to you. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm putting on the baby weight, but... Um, but but uh, yeah, man. Why not? Why not? Why not a meal? Why a snack? <laughs> you gotta you gotta ask the kids, man. That's their thing. They're like, I mean, you look you look like Father Christian. You you did your hair today. You're looking like a snack. Because people don't want the commit. They don't want the commitment of the meal anymore. I think that's true. You know, it's true. The youth today, they're all about <laughs> who's got time. Who's got time? For yeah, them? swipe left on that snack. I want another one. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Reverend Alan Bentrup, so you know you're you're in the Episcopal Church, and we've had a couple of these, these canons, a couple canons on the show, and and the first thing the rabbi will say is, "What the heck is a canon? Why do they call you canon?" Yeah, it's well, canons are the church law in general. Um, so our constitution and canons is how we in the Episcopal Church govern ourselves. Um, and for people, a canon is either someone who works for a cathedral. Um, at a senior level, uh, like, you know, Christian, your title is associate rector, right? Something like that. Yeah. Um, if you were in a cathedral, you'd probably be a canon. Um, it's kind of that same level. For me, I'm a canon because I work on a bishop's senior staff. And so, you know, in our tradition, the bishop is, is the main guy, the CEO, if you will, of the diocese. And then they all, bishops always have canons, which are kind of the vice president level to continue that business metaphor. It means, you know, when I visit somewhere, I can speak on behalf of the bishop and, and I'm part of his consultation, helping him figure out um, his response and how we as a church are going to handle different things. So you got to be really careful with your words because you are literally an extension of the bishop. You represent his words. Uh, yeah, sometimes, um, you know. I love the disclaimer at the top of your show that um, you know, the views expressed here don't necessarily represent your temple and your church because your folks probably regret that already. Um, I think two years <laughs> in, my bishop sometimes regrets hiring me because of the things that come out of my mouth. Yeah, well, I know that, you know, one reason why we brought you on the show is that, um, you know, you, you, over the last couple of months, people on social media 
it's become very trendy and you know in and it's it's not unusual for someone to post like the reading list about racism or white privilege or just dealing with how do you deal with racial injustice or um any kind of meme or graphic that's you know about supporting uh, the, the movement right now of, of uh, racial justice. Um, you've been doing that for quite some time. Um, you've been talking about the modern day lynching. You've been talking about things and, and you're not in a very progressive haven. Um, you're, you're, uh, and then if we want to just go by looks, you don't look like the kind of person who's going to be on the front lines talking about this stuff. So let's get into that. You, you, you're, <laughs> explain what someone sees when you walk into a church uh, or what, what, what's the kind of guy they're going to see? How, how would they maybe describe you? Um, I'm a big, less big now, like you said, but I'm a big, burly, bald-headed, bearded Texan. Um, and what most people notice, I get more comments when I go somewhere to preach. I get more comments on my boots than I usually do on my sermons. And so <laughs> uh, when, I when I walk in, I look probably like J.R. Ewing. Uh, mm. folks in florida know the show dallas um, yeah and so yeah i mean i grew up in texan grew up a texan i grew up conservative i still would consider myself a conservative i grew up an evangelical i still would consider myself an evangelical um and so when people hear that and people hear me claim those terms right because i'm not going to let other people define terms for me uh then when I start talking about things, it's, it's a little jarring because I don't talk about things the same way that, that someone else who looks like me or someone else who grew up like me might, might talk about these issues. And part of the work that you do for, now you work in Upper South Carolina for, for the diocese there, but for, part of your focus in that diocese is racial reconciliation? It is. It is. So my title is Canon for Evangelism and Mission, which means a thousand things. Um, but part of that is I am the, the liaison. I am the consultant for the diocese and in particular for our race and reconciliation committee. Um, you know, we're like any good religious institution. We have a ton of committees and one of those is focused on race and reconciliation. The committee itself is about four years old. I've been here for about two years. And so I work with the chairs of that committee and the bishop to kind of set the vision, figure out how they're going to help um, congregations in our diocese accomplish that work. So you uh, so right right about now, you, you pretty much are on. You, there's nothing for you to do right now since it's pretty quiet during the summer. And there's nothing. Yeah, going on there's the topics, nothing at all going just, on. You just play Sudoku all day with. Uh, with, with your staff and that guy, Jimmy Hartley, who's on your staff. Yeah, too. we just watch Netflix, basically. Okay, so what, so, so just give us an insight of what, what is it like now? You're, you're in a place of Upper South Carolina where, uh, again, um, you, we mentioned yesterday on the phone, you know, that, that you think that, and I've heard this before, that Southern states might be more prepared to have the conversations and the difficult conversations about race than our friends in the North. And, and if, that's a, if, that, if that's a correct way of, of, of paraphrasing what you said yesterday, why is that? I don't know that they're more prepared than states in the North. What they're more prepared to do, I think, is to, to have conversations with people they know and trust. Um, and, you know, this is broad generalizations, right? Um, but progressive folks, folks out there marching, folks out there doing the reading list, all of that, 
they're self-motivated um, in this work. They are um, having these conversations is quite literally preaching to the choir with them. But when you're in South Carolina, right, we just celebrated, not celebrated, we just commemorated uh, the five-year anniversary of when our state assembly, our House of Representatives in the state, voted to take the Confederate flag off the state house ground. Um, so we're just in a different place in South Carolina. Uh, the stars and bars are everywhere. Um, fewer places now. Uh, and so here, folks, my experience is folks, particularly folks who, who want to label themselves progressive, want to label themselves social justice, activist, any of those words, they don't want to be lectured to. Um, they, I mean, very few people want to be lectured to, right? Very few people want to be told that something they believe or love or have always thought is wrong. And so um, in my experience, sometimes those folks are a little more open to having honest, vulnerable conversations when someone like me can say, hey, you know, my parents grew up poor farmers in rural Kansas and and I I understand the struggles and you know here's some of the things that I was led to believe growing up and here's how I've worked through it and so when I can approach a conversation like that rather than saying here I am with all the answers um, I've had more success you know getting real with people doing that okay so the 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 explain why this work though is passionate to you how did you, why, why, why did you find yourself and you've been in, invested in this work, not just recently, but for a while, this work, what I mean is why is God, because you are a priest and you've always been a dedicated Christian, why do you think God has been pulling you towards um, this part of his kingdom, which is dealing with, with race? Yeah, right now it's because I draw a paycheck doing this work. You know, that's always a motivating factor. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but more seriously, this, um, the least diverse school I've ever attended was seminary. Mm. Uh, so growing up in Fort Worth, Texas, which is on the good side of Dallas, Texas, uh, growing <laughs> up there, like you, my school district was diverse, right? I, I, people that looked like me made up like five or 6% of my middle school. We made up about 25% of my high school. Um, even my college, it was, you know, we were about 40%. Um, so you go to seminary and then you notice the, the Episcopal church is a lot different than, than the way I was raised, but even more personal than that, you know, take it outside of, of church world. Um, my sister is married to a black man and um, I love that man to death. He loves my boys. And I have two nephews who are biracial, but they walk around in black skin. Uh, so Bryce and Brady are, are 15 and 14, I think. And they're both varsity athletes. They're both straight A students. But when people see them, they don't see the straight A AP honor student. Um, my guess is a lot of people, when they see them, they see a black man first. Whereas my boys, who are knuckleheads, they might get the benefit of the doubt a little more often because they walk through the world as uh white men, young white men. And so for me, it's desperately personal because these conversations that, that you Christian will have to have with your son someday and that you know black mothers and fathers and caregivers have with their kids, my sister and brother-in-law have to have those conversations with my nephew. And um, it's, it's amazing to me. Um, you know, 
know, I, they're athletes. So they go out running in their neighborhood and they live in a predominantly white neighborhood. After Ahmaud Arbery a couple months ago, um, it was very real because what happens when, when my nephew's running through a neighborhood and someone doesn't think he should be running through there? Right? This isn't theoretical. This isn't some thing far off. This, this is life and death. This is flesh and blood for me. Yeah, you know, you bring up a, a good topic just because, yeah, as you know, you know, my, uh, my son is biracial and, and my, you know, my, my wife is black and um, I, I, I have felt reluctant to bring that, I don't want to say play that card, but bring that up when I preach or when I'm talking about these topics. Sure, it's just because I don't want it to seem like it's, it, it's about me or about my child. Um, and I want to make it more about the kingdom of God. But to be all honest, like you said, it is it is very personal. It is a very personal thing because it breaks my heart to look at my baby boy to know just how precious and innocent he is. Um, but he, there, there's a good chance, I don't know, but there's a good chance that he might not get a fair shake. And there's certain things like I have to worry about him going jogging, worry about him going driving. Um, and, you know, he has a name that's, that has an African name. Is that going to work against him? You know, um, and, 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 you know, we, we know the research on that, that if whatever it's a school application or a job application, if they see that African name, will that mean they'll pass by that more quickly than, than a white name? Um, you know, we're not we're not we're not just theorizing. I mean, that there's there's data on that. Right. So it, it that does it. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a personal it's a personal thing. And I, I guess I ask you this is that. Do you think that's okay for, for people like, you know, you and me as white guys, the reason, well, the big reason why this has become such a passion for ours and it gets to our heart is because it is so personal. Um, do you think that can cloud the work that we do in the church and how we preach, teach, inform others in this, in this work of reconciliation? I don't think so, uh, because the way I talk about God's love is shaped by the fact that I love my children unconditionally, right? Like, I understand love differently now than I did 12 and a half years ago because, um, and I understand God's love, I think differently because I've held in my arms, my own child. Um, and so I think our personal experiences, not only are kids great sermon illustrations, which you'll learn as your son grows up because they do crazy things, but it gives you an insight. Um, just like any relationship does. That's, you know, part of my, part of my role is evangelism, right? And it's not, you know, knock on your door and say, hey, can I tell you about my friend Jesus? You know, for some, that type of evangelism works. But the, the type that I work with folks on is, is getting to know people, getting to know their stories. Like you said this in the intro, is when we, when we meet people as individuals, when we meet people as, as beloved children and siblings of God and God, um, it changes how we view the world around us. Not no longer is it, oh, some black man was lynched today. It's, oh, um, my friend Rob um, got pulled over by the police today. So it changed, it takes it to a different level. And so I think, you know, in the Episcopal Church, right, where there's very few um, black folks that sit in our pews. And so the average Episcopalian probably doesn't have a lot of. Um, black friends, the average white American actually statistically doesn't have very many black friends. And so 
So part of our role as faith leaders is to help introduce those relationships and find ways that not for tokenism, not to say, oh, we're going to do this one thing on Martin Luther King weekend with the with the AME church down the street. That's not what I'm talking about. But how can we have an authentic, legitimate brother and sister relationship with a community that doesn't look or think like us? And how does that start to shape how we we view these things when big things happen? Like how can how does that make something that happens in Minneapolis personal to us in Stewart, Florida or Columbia, South Carolina? But also, how can we just see the world differently? How can we start to see that Black students in our schools are suspended a little bit disproportionately than a white student, but they are arrested significantly more, like two or three times magnitude more? And so, or how do we see that, like housing crises? How do we see these problems in our communities um, and look at the root issue? It's because I think it's because we start to meet other people who experience these. So you're saying that so before the 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 groundwork, because I'm trying to get like, so before you get up there on, for you, that what, what I'm hearing from you is it's as, as everything is really in the synagogue or in the mosque or in the church, it's, it's, it's all about relationship. It's all relational and our God is relational. And so if we're not starting our ministry or our formation or uh, having a sermon that encourages relationship, um, then, then we just get stuck at the pulpit, right? So, so it's how are we first, we can be preaching and talking about racial reconciliation, but if your church or your synagogue is not actively involved in building relationships uh, with other races or with people who don't look like you, how far is that sermon really going to go? Because there's no really outlet to really go practice that because we're not really even in, in relationship, right. With, with other, with other folks. Um, so it's, it's, is that part of the work that you do when you're go, traveling around your diocese and helping folks in this, in this work is asking them, so how, how can you get in form a relationship with, with your neighbors who, um, who happen to be black? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a term that gets thrown around a lot right now called performative allyship. And that's someone who posts on social performative allyship. So, you know, we all want to be allies to our, our black siblings. Um, but there's a, I mean, it's a drog, not derogatory, but it's a, it's a term that people use for someone whose allyship, someone whose activism is kind of paper thin. Um, it's someone who, you know, posts a pithy quote on Twitter or Instagram and then goes about the rest of their day as if everything is is great. And so for me, um, churches or synagogues or mosques, that all they do is preach about reconciliation um, from the pulpit. To me, that's a form of performative allyship. It's that church is, sure, they're teaching and that's wonderful. Um, but if we teach about the mission of God, but we're not also out there helping to bring about the kingdom of God, um, we're missing a key component uh, because, you know, at least in our tradition, uh, in the Christian tradition, faith without works is dead. Uh, and so if we, if we're just going to talk about it to each other, particularly if we're only going to talk about it with each other, that's a first step where we as, you know, nice people get together and talk about the sad state of the world and how we can help um, change things 
we do start with ourselves. We start in our own heart. But until that goes out and starts to cross boundaries, right? Our God is a God that, that crosses boundaries. I mean, that's kind of the story of, of our shared traditions. Um, until we're willing to do that, then all we're doing is talking. And nothing is really going to change if we're just talking to each other. Sure, sure. Well, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we, when we come back, we want to get in. Okay, so there's, there's this developing relationships. But what about just the struggle in relationships in our own congregations? So the truth is, is that when Rabbi Durbin and myself talk about this in our congregations, there's still work that needs to be done in there because there might be very differing opinions or just a reluctance to want to talk about race or racism. And there could be defensiveness in the walls that go up there. And um, so when we come back, we're going to ask Reverend Ventrip, how do you approach that as a leader, whether it's a religious organization or your own organization that you run? of how do you start to have these talks about something that's weighing on us as Americans and you feel like your organization needs to talk about this and uh, the brokenness that we see within race relations. How do you approach that knowing that not everyone's gonna be on the same page or not everyone even wants to talk about it? So we're gonna take a quick break to hear about, hear from the people who make all this possible and we'll be right back with Reverend Alan Bentrup here on A Priest and a Rabbi. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And I want to let you know that I have started a YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time, and you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers 
who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh, my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Welcome back to a priest and a rabbi. We are here today to discuss racism and how do we in our communities, how do we address the issue? How do we even how do we even engage? How do we even start the conversation, especially in many communities where we might have that feeling that it doesn't exist, where in fact we know that it does exist. So it is It is with great pleasure that we have on our show, Reverend Allen and uh, Reverend Anderson and myself, three white guys. <laughs> no, but you know what, you know, and, and it's interesting because although, although for some of our listeners who may, who may find it um, slightly ironic, I, I, I think that there is great value in the fact that three white guys are are, are talking about it, are engaging about it, and, 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 and hopefully bring those that are unable to see the humanity and the, the humaneness of the fact that this is of concern to all people. This isn't, in one hand, it is a race issue. On the other hand, it's a humanitarian issue. If we really, truly see one another our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, uh, the people we care about, uh, even those in, in, in our midst, if we see them panim al panim, face to face, that maybe we can have some, some degree of change and reconciliation. So it is, it is, it is, it is with pleasure that we, uh, that we bring back um, Reverend Allen. Yeah, I, you know that, Face to face, we talked during the break a little bit about that that Hebrew phrase, and, and you mentioned Rabbi Heschel, who I'm going to butcher this quote, but pray as if everything depended on God, but act as if everything depended on you. Is that the gist of it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely. And yeah, and that's right. You know, we see it after school shootings, we see it after tragedies, we see it after everything where people put out thoughts and prayers. Right, that's become kind of a, a cliche thing. And I, I won't say cliche because thoughts and prayers are important. Um, but if all you're going to do when you see um, that a black man is lynched in the year 2020, if all you're going to do is say, oh, I'm, I'm going to pray, then you're not doing anything, right? You're part of the problem. Mm. Uh, and so, so for us, you know, we're three white guys. We're uh, sitting around talking about this, this is where it has to start. Uh, there's a lot of, of work and there's a lot of literature about how um, black scholars and, and, and those folks, you know, it's frankly not their job to teach us white people about racism. They can uh, be resources or they can offer resources. 
um, to help us. And they've done that in the way of books, countless books, articles, lectures, all of that. Um, but if we want to get to the root of, of racism and white supremacy and white privilege and all these other words that, you know, we could spend the next 30 minutes defining. But if we want to get to the root of that, we have to talk to other white people. All right, so let's let's talk about the struggle with that because, so I, I totally agree with you, but here's the reality. So uh, Rabbi and I are both, and, and I don't know, but probably maybe your diocese is the same, uh, Reverend Allen, but that we're a majority white congregations uh, and uh, Rabbi and myself are in a post-segregationalist community. Uh, so you still have, I mean, we, we still have some, some lines that have been drawn from Jim Crow that blacks are over here and we're over here. And, uh, and that, that, that wasn't that long ago, right? Um, but the conversation, and I've heard this from some prisoners been like, listen, man, we went through the 60s, we went through the 70s, we heard so much about this. Um, I just don't wanna to come to church and hear about this. It's just, it's, a, it's you know, they, they, they watch the news networks all day long. They're, they're, they're hearing all that content and then they come and like, I don't wanna hear it, right? I just, I just don't. Or some will be like, I just, they might not even agree. Like white, you talk, you say those buzzwords of white supremacy. Uh, this country was made for white flourishing. As Steph Spellers came on a couple of weeks ago, Reverend Steph Spellers, she mentioned that. If I went in front of my congregation, let's talk about that. This country was made for white, for white people to flourish. <laughs> I think I have to be with my walk out and be like, what is, you are out of your darn mind, man. You can go back to Los Angeles with that one. So I, I, you know, some of these, I feel like, some of these, 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 and white privilege, that is like so many bars up, levels up of, of, of talking about, but it's almost like we got to start much smaller. And do you experience that with the work that you do on South Carolina saying, all right, yeah, I would love to talk about white privilege. I would love to talk about uh, is there white supremacy still in our society? And that doesn't mean you're a part of the KKK. That just means there's a structure that we're a part of that really supports more white skin. Um, but I can't go there yet because that is can cause uh, people to get really defensive or just tune out. I mean, have you found that? Like, and if you do, where do you start? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, you know, this is a quick anecdote from before my time in South Carolina, but there was a conversation amongst some folks in our diocese about um, setting up this race and reconciliation committee and starting to do some of this work more deliberately. Someone raised their hands and genuinely genuinely asked don't you think we ought to survey and see if this is still a problem before we put time and, and energy into it and you know, apparently folks kind of looked around at each other and uh do you not see and yeah right because i think for well-meaning lovely good people, they see that we don't have whites only water fountains, or they see that we beat Hitler, and they think this stuff is over. Right? They don't see um, racist systems. They don't see um, everyday anti-Semitism. They don't see all this around because it. you sometimes have to look hard for it because um, we've done a pretty good job as a society of, of shoving stuff under the rug. Uh, I think it's Brian Stevenson who said, you know, slavery didn't end. It just changed. Hmm. You know, it changed to Jim Crow. And then, um, you know, 60 or so years ago, we decided enough was enough. And so Jim Crow didn't really end. It 
just changed. And now it's, you know, the prison industrial complex or whatever, you know, all these morphing symptoms of a larger problem, which that problem is sin, right? And so I would say to your parishioner who says, I don't want to hear about racism all day. Like, well, are you going to come to church to hear that you're a sinner in need of God's love and forgiveness? Uh, Because that's pretty depressing too, to hear that every week, but it's true. Uh, I mean, we, in our tradition, we confess our sins Um, individually. We confess our sins corporately. Um, And are we just doing that for show? Are we just doing it because it's lines on a page that we have to read in order to get to the end of church and coffee hour? Or are we really examining um, where we ourselves are broken, where our churches are broken, where our society is broken? And so, yeah, it's, it's hard, you know. When I go somewhere, I'm a guest preacher. And so people give me a little bit of leeway. Yeah. Um, because they know I'm going to say some things. And if I uh, tick them off, I won't be there the next week. They don't have to deal <laughs> with me. And so I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to get the upset emails or the visits to my office. But at the same time, I don't know the people, I don't have the relationships. And so I, I don't know those places where I can dig a little right well where y'all do y'all been in your congregations for a while and and you've been there at the highs and lows of people's lives and and hopefully you've built some relational capital and not just for the pulpit right i don't think the pulpit is a place to start to have these conversations where you can open up your bible to virtually any chapter in any book and you'll see um something that that screams about the the boundary breaking rule crossing um, love of God tearing down these walls that divide us and so you can exegete that and you can preach on reconciliation and anti-racism and all of this all day long but people don't hear our sermons when we talk about good stuff either right like the sermon is just a piece of it where I think um, it has more success is in the one-on-one relationships and how do we as leaders have conversations and you know there's going to be someone at coffee hour or you take someone to lunch or something comes up maybe and you have a chance to say hey have you thought about this to where it's not threatening you're not you know bible beating them or torah beating i don't know if torah beating is a phrase that y'all use um, but when a preacher stands up and, and just kind of throws the word of god at people we call that bible beating where they're not going to get that, but they're going to get a priest or a rabbi or a clergy person walking alongside and saying, look, here's some, some places where Stuart, Florida is still drastically, drastically broken. I mean, you can look at, there's probably zoning maps um, down at city hall that still have red lines hmm. that, that talk about, you know, here's where the people nowadays will say that here's where the people with good credit scores can live. Um, but that's coded language for here's where white people can live. Um, and so how can we have these these personal relationships? Because I'll stop there and let you reflect on that. And give me a chance to breathe. But yeah, I think the, the closer we can dig into the personal one-on-one, that gets us further than than just what a sermon can do. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And so now here, the next this next part of that is let's 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 put in COVID-19 on top of that. And since since I would love, and I think that where I have personally struggled is that right after Floyd came, you know, I, I preached three sermons that were pretty, I wouldn't say strong, but 
just went right into the right, right into the work and use a lot of these words that we talked about that that could be triggers. Um, and so the so those are the sermons, but those sermons probably necessitated, well, not probably, definitely necessitated uh, like a talk back <laughs> or like a coffee hour and say, you know, uh, uh, there will be a sermon discussion after church because they're weighty and everyone's heart and mind is weighty after witnessing the murder of George Floyd, right? And, and all everything that's going on TV and then you see the rioting. And so a lot of people's, there's a lot of opinions that are stirring up and hearts that are just bleeding. And so we need to get together. What do we do as people of faith? Well, we we're relational and we talk and we listen to one another. And we hope that our sacred space allows us to have the respect um, to really hear one another and to um, pray together and allow the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God to really help us to be fully present um, and um, and to really listen to one another. But we have been uh, constricted in that um, since we're all online. So in the meantime. But maybe that helps. Tell me how it helps, because I find out that it, it it's a struggle because I want to I don't want to do a Zoom call. I mean, I guess I could with 50 people and say, can we talk about race or talk about the sermon? I guess we could. But I know there are people are saying, well, I listened to you for 15 minutes and you brought up a lot of things and I want to speak up. And maybe but I think that I, I think that's yeah. it is that is that is that it, it being online and being virtual that we have the potential to reach that much more people through a message that, you know, if I give a sermon on, on, on racism in my community, well, I have the potential on, on a given Friday night to access 60, 70 people on a, on a, on a, on a, a Facebook live sermon that I give on Friday nights now that we're virtual, well, we're reaching hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more people. And I guess my concern has always been, Right. For for when we preach about social issues and racism and that type of stuff, you know, to some in our community, we're, we're preaching to the choir because they understand it. They see it and they want to be able to access change. My concern is on the periphery for those that are not coming, for those that are disengaged or don't see it as an issue. How do we as faith leaders address them and reach them where they're at? Right. But you have people in your congregation that you you preach a, a sermon on black lives matter it's going to be there's going to be people who are going to want to push back and be contentious as sure. you know there's you say that term and some people say yeah it's a good rallying cry for equal rights and and uh, and other people say no it's a rally cry for marxism and anarchy so mm -hmm. how do you get a, then as a, as a as a congregation then we got to get together and sit around and have some coffee and eat some nice donuts or whatever and 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 talk about it so we can do what reverend allen's talking about to get that relational aspect and listen to one another and work this out um, mm -hmm. Right now, that is a struggle to do, especially here in Florida, since our numbers are like, you know, higher than um, some countries, than some countries, than some countries. Um, so I guess, Reverend Al, what would be your advice now during a digital age to try to encourage this kind of discussion? Do you just try to say, like, we're going to have a, a Zoom small group and we're going to talk about this stuff, which is limiting? It definitely is limiting, you know? Um, well, what are your thoughts now in this digital age since it's not going, it's not changing anytime soon, at least here in Florida? Yeah, that's really tricky because, I mean, people are yearning to be together in person. You know, South Carolina is in the same boat as Florida. We're just fortunately a smaller state, so our numbers don't look as bad. Uh, but no one needs to really be leaving their house. Uh, and so, so how do you build these? these deep connections, particularly at a time when folks' hearts might be softened to this, right? There's 
just the general kind of the air we breathe right now is such that the folks might be willing to listen at a different level than they were five months ago. Um, offering stuff on Zoom now is an opportunity. The medium of Zoom can allow you to bring in big names potentially because you're not paying for airfare, you're not paying for hotels. Oh, that's right. You know, and so for conversation series, can you bring in someone that that by sheer force of personality? can bring people in that's obviously why you got me on your radio show today absolutely well you you just drained our personality we we, we spent our whole budget on you yeah yeah and so you know in our tradition what does Catherine meeks have to say you know she's kind of the go-to person in the episcopal world around these issues or you know are there ways that you can get academics or writers to to come and, and and do a talk or do a video or even just find pre-recorded things and have that. The other thing is as people start to gather in person, um, you could be getting together to talk about Cleveland Browns football and you would probably fill a room in person in Florida just because as when things start to loosen up, when things start to open up and it's safe to start to gather, people are gonna be so hungry to get together in person that Maybe that's another opportunity. And so, yeah, there's some wasted time right now. But are there ways that straight out of the gate, our first, you know, forum series after kind of the shutdowns or whatever are over or when they start to loosen or even if small groups, right, if if groups of 10 or fewer can gather, are there ways we can resource folks to have these conversations? Because they're going to want to see each other. And they're going to do basically anything they can to get in a room with people who aren't their own wife or husband or spouse and kids, right? Like there's a lot I would do to be in a room with other people right now that don't require me to feed them. Uh, And so would I be willing to go talk about racism? Maybe. And so those are opportunities. Do you think, do you think that people would be like, oh gosh, I can't wait to be with people, but do we have to talk about racism? Oh my God. Right. Like, especially if you're in an all white community where you don't really see it, it's, it's not, you know, the protests that happened here were extremely peaceful. I mean, our Black Lives Matter protest had, you know, the sheriff praying over it and the chief of police. So they see Martin County as like, if things are, things is different here and it is different here, but we also see a lot of the structural stuff that we've been referring to. So what's a way that maybe invite folks so you don't just get the expected people there, but well, of course he or she's there. They're really... They're really passionate about this work, but the people who you would like to touch and say, no, let's, someone you want to say, no, let, let, let's, I know you're, you might not be really for this kind of work. And I'm, I want to invite you to come in and just to get your opinion. I would love to have you on board for this. Is it a personal invite to someone and saying, we're about to do this thing and talk about you know, uh, racial affiliation or the racial injustice or whatever. And um, I know it might not be number one on your priority list but i would love to have you there because i honor your opinion and um i mean i don't know i'm just trying to think about how, how to get folks there who might not have any interest in, in being there yeah i think the personal that's how you get anyone to do anything whether it's teaching sunday school or you, you know making cookies for coffee hour you don't just put something in the bulletin you ask them um, and so calling up someone who you know is probably um on the more conservative side saying, Hey, we're having these difficult conversations. I'd love to have your voice because exactly that, you know, folks are thoughtful generally and um, they're open to these conversations. But, you know, another thing I'm thinking of right now is 
we don't have to say, oh, we're going to come do six weeks on racism. Week one could be a, Christ, a Christian or a faithful or, you know, a faithful response to poverty, a faithful response to, to housing, right? Like there's all these issues that people are deeply passionate about, right? There's probably no one in any of our congregations that, that isn't passionate about alleviating poverty. And so is it's not very long into a discussion about poverty that you start to get to some root issues um, that directly point to racism and systemic racism. Um, and so are there ways to, to have the conversation around the conversation, not to be disingenuous or tied, but to legitimately say, I, racism is a broad topic, but we're gonna narrow down these things um, and to where we can talk about these issues of, of extreme importance, things that, you know, in our tradition that Jesus talked a lot more about poverty than he did about a lot of things. And we seem to focus too much time on the other things than we do about poverty and that. And are there ways to, to talk about that? Or are there ways to talk about a series of hot issues? You know, if, if a church or a synagogue had a series where one week we're going to talk about a faithful response to gun violence, people might show up just to see how crazy you have to be to talk about this. And you throw in a week a Christian response to white supremacy. People are going to show up to see what what um, what faithful people have to say to, to neo Nazis. When in reality, that talk might get into systemic racism, not you know bald headed people with swastika tattoos. Um, so, are there ways to to have kind of even a more narrow conversation to where we're not going to we're not advertising it as let's come talk about racism because people may be tired of that, but let's talk about poverty. Let's talk about homelessness. Let's talk about drug addiction. You know, these problems in our communities, these, these identifiable problems that people vote about, that people think about a lot. Um, can we have these conversations? Those will inevitably lead to the other conversation. Yeah, I think if people of faith and rabbis, if you agree with me on this, is that I know what gets people at St. Mary's going, and it is community. They love building community. Um, any, when we, over about three years ago, really just made a focus on we're building community with people who don't look like us. And uh, we did an alpha class. If you're familiar with alpha, we, we instead of saying, why are we doing this on our campus? Like, it's kind of an intro to Christianity thing. Let's do that and move it over into the black community and invite all the local churches and people were excited about it. I mean, there were some people who were nervous just because it's a neighborhood they're not familiar with, uh, but it, it really was something that it just enthused and just, I think, erupted the Holy Spirit in a new way for many people in our congregation because they're excited about uh, building, A, just the broad thing. We are building community and then building community with people who don't look like us, even better. Let's, I, I want more of that. And, and that's what I'm wondering from my context, if that is where, what does it really mean to build community? And what does it mean to build community with folks who might not have, I have to think about how to phrase this, but you know, does everyone get a fair shake in our community? You know, that could be a part of that. Is there a level playing field for everyone in this community that we all love here? And we can start to look at those things and look at statistics and look, I mean, maybe. And uh, I think, I'm speaking out loud here, just what is the approach? Because I know that everyone can agree on. Everyone's like, yes, I want to make friends with people who don't look like me. I love that because that's what God calls us to. 
uh, and then see what now with my new friends, are they having the same experience as I am in this community? And, and that, that might be a way. Um, but I also, I also really, I also really liked what, what Reverend Allen said in terms of, you know, not, not placating it, but, but giving a very general broad topic, right? What is Christianity? What does Judaism say? I mean, we did this a while ago, you know, Jews, Judaism, and the second amendment. Well, you know, we kind of thought we'd have 10, 15 people. We had 85 people show up. I mean, it was great. It was a conversation about a history, why we're concerned, what is the Jewish perspective, and how do we move forward, right? As opposed to just saying, let's talk racism. Well, I might or might not be interested in it, but if you talk about a Christian view or a Jewish view towards how we view the other, well, now you've piqued my interest. Yeah. Really, I, I think it's a great approach, great approach. Yeah. It could be a Judeo-Christian approach of how we view the other. And then you, mm -hmm. and then, and then um, we'll have to do it in a, a, at the, uh, at the Lyric Theater. Cause there'll be so many people there, brother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Y'all um, two get together, find a mosque and have a series and people will come just to see people that don't look like them talk about hot issues. Yeah. We just have to drive 50 miles for a mosque, but you know, um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll find one. No, I'm kidding. Um, there's actually one that's actually not that far. Uh, Reverend Allen, listen, this is so great. If, if people want to find more about maybe some of the resources or uh, is there a place where they can find more of you? I know you're active on social media. How can people find you? Yeah. So uh, social media, I'm Alan Bentrup, A-L-A-N-B-E-N-T-R-U-P. No one else in the world has that name. So I have it on all the social media. Uh, so you can find that. Uh, but for resources, um, a website that I love is do something.org. You go to do something.org and they've got um, just a ton of resources about um, a variety of things, but particular how folks can talk about racism with each other and um, with people that look like them. That's great. Awesome. Reverend Allen, thank you so much, man. Uh, we look to collaborating again in some way or another. This has been so helpful. Um, God bless you and your ministry, man, and fighting the good fight out there, brother. Thanks, y'all, too. This is great. All right, everyone. That is another episode. If, uh, you know, um, this, and it's just a, and over at St. Mary's, as long as you all know that we do have a listening series that happens every Wednesday at 12, and we're listening to the different voices of what they're saying about these current times. So please check us out on YouTube and Facebook. It's called The Listening Series. Uh, we just had our Sheriff Snyder on there, who's now preaching this Sunday at St. Mary's. So until next time, here on Fridays on WSTU, we will see you on a priest and a rabbi. God be with you. Bye-bye. Amen. Oh,